This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Hey, good morning, everyone. Coach Chris Cotton here from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching, where I work hard to support your auto repair shop success. As you get into today's episode, you may know someone in your network who can benefit from today's topic. So please take time to share personally or through your social network. If you have an idea for a show topic or just want to talk, feel free to get with me at chris at autofixsos.com. Let's get started with episode 75, Defining Moments in My Life. Wow, I'm not sure how this episode's going to go. I wrote this or sketched it out. I'm going to free wheel most of it. If you know me, you know I'm not a palm sweaty kind of guy, but I'd be lying if I told you my hands weren't sweating right now. And I wasn't having small bouts of anxiety. Um, I've been thinking about this episode for months and months and months. I've been wanting to do it for quite some time now and just not sure how it's going to go. Um, I'm not really worried about how it's perceived um, because I don't worry about what other people think typically. I'm not sure about the life lessons anyone can glean from it, but with the world and the shape it's in right now, I feel like things need to change. And in order to make those changes, people, I don't know exactly who, need to hear other stories and know how they persevered and moved on. I know people are struggling. I really can't point to reasons why. Uh, It seems like life is so much harder now than it was 30 plus years ago. But maybe after hearing my story, you may decide that life's always been difficult and we just didn't hear about these things back then and we do now. If talk about domestic violence and her suicide could trigger you, then you might think twice about listening to this podcast. If you are experiencing mental health-related distress or worried about a loved one who may need crisis support, call or text 988. You can also chat at 988lifeline.org. You can connect with a trained crisis counselor. 988 is confidential, free, and available 24-7, 365. And then you can visit the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline for more information. You can also get that at 988lifeline.org. If you or someone you know has experienced domestic violence, please stop it now. Get out. Do not stay. I'm telling you, hit the door, run, whatever justification in your mind you're you're making for staying or whatever it's not enough and we want you to be around for a long time and we don't want bad things to happen to you the national domestic violence hotline is 800-799-7233 if you don't want to call that one make sure and reach out to a local shelter in your area one thing we don't talk about a lot but one thing that i learned being on the board of directors at a domestic violence shelter was that men can also be victims. If that is you and you're listening, please call the number I shared with you earlier. And I said earlier that I didn't know what life lessons were going to come out of this and what good was going to come out of it. Maybe my experiences as as a child helped me grow up and be more feeling towards that, or I don't know what the word is for it. But that's how I got involved with the domestic violence shelter, just trying to be better, help others. This is going to be hard. One thing I wanted to say is if if my dad ever listens to this, just know that I love you. Anything here that I chose not to tell you growing up was because I didn't want to hurt you. Okay? Boy, we're starting awful early on that, okay? Goodness gracious. There are things that happen to us even before we're born and help shape, change our lives. 
my mom and dad got pregnant with me when they were teenagers. It was pre-73, so this was pre-Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, I'm not going to step into that discussion. Although sometimes I wonder if it had existed at the time, what changes my parents may have made or may not have made. You know, I often think about if my life never would have been to continue. I doubt it would have made a difference. My mother's family, religion was, they were Catholics. I doubt they would have went down that road. I found out later in life that there was an option for another family to adopt me, which could have completely changed my life. And so that was a defining moment that happened in my life, in the womb, or shortly thereafter. And for whatever reasons my parents decided to keep me, my guess is now, knowing what I know at 50, um, it's probably from my dad more so than my mother, but I'm not sure. But I can tell you this, though. My goal in life growing up was making 100% sure that I never got anyone pregnant before I graduated high school. This created a whole other set of issues. I ruined several relationships in that time period because I couldn't communicate that goal for whatever reason. And, you know, you're a teenager. Feelings are everywhere. And if you don't talk about those things, sometimes they can just get, I don't know, I guess my lesson out of that is make sure you're always communicating, even the tough things. Like those are the things you should super 100% be communicating is the tough things. If you think in your head that somebody else needs to know it, they probably do communicate it. Okay. And again, I don't know that I communicated this early enough in the beginning, but again, this is the defining moments in my life, things that could have went left or right. And for whatever reason, they went the reason they did. I've put them in a chronological order, not from hardest to easiest, worst to best or anything like that. There's some good things on this list, but a lot of thing is just pain. And one thing I've, I've known is you got to let, let go of the pain. Okay. And I do have these numbered on my list just to keep me straight. Number two is, is my earliest memory. I remember being in the crib. So this would have been in Wichita Falls, Texas, middle of the night, uh, I had to have been a toddler. My guess is two-ish, maybe a little bit older. The windows were open, wind blowing in for some reason in the middle of the night, after midnight. I can remember seeing out the window the moon, like a full moon. For some reason, I woke up. I'm standing in the crib. I'm also going to say that all of these things are in my mind as I believe them to happen. I don't know it differently. Some of these things could have happened differently, but I'm telling it from my truth and the way I understand it, the way I remember it as best as possible. So I'm in the crib. I have a like a small animal. I don't know if it's a dinosaur or a giraffe, something like that. And somewhere in there, there's a marble. And I have this marble in my mouth and I'm laying on my back. And so I'm kind of like blowing it out. I'm not spitting it out completely, but I'm kind of blowing it out of my teeth, catching it in my lips and then sucking it back to do it again. Somewhere in there, I remember sucking too hard and it's in my throat and I am like struggling, trying to breathe, can't breathe. I can't say that I was remember thinking I was going to die. I just knew there's something wrong and I didn't know how to fix it. Somehow, I don't know how much longer later, it basically kind of popped out and I don't know why I was still on my back as far as I know, unless I had like a guardian angel, something to push me forward. And so after these first two things, I would really, really say 
that another lesson out of those, and I'm sorry, some of this is just coming to me as we talk about it. You know, I could have easily been aborted in the first one. Something else could have happened. I could have died in the crib. But for some reason, I'm still here today. I guess maybe I know why, because I have a a great family, great uh, respect for life. I have a great business practice, and I help a lot of people. Maybe that's why I'm still here. I don't know. But my earliest memory ever is in the crib. And it was a memory that I had and was able to recall from an early age. Like, I remember probably being five, six, seven and thinking back about that quite a bit. What does it mean? I don't know. I'm still here. Thank goodness it came out. Thanks goodness the guardian angel smacked it out. I don't know. I just know that it came out and I started breathing again and I'm still here. Number three, growing up. I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force. My mom left us, left us, left me at a fairly early age. My dad got out of the Air Force. I'm sure it's the only thing we could afford. We bought a house, which was an old, I don't know if it was an old Sears home or not, like a Sears kit home, maybe not. It was built early in the 1900s. There was like no electricity. There was no running water. We drew our water out of a well. We used pickle buckets, and so the water always tasted like pickles. Maybe that's why I like pickle juice now. No electricity. It was basically a shell with no insulation. And so until we got it insulated and sheetrocked, we slept in the kitchen, probably 100% not how you would do it now, with the door down on the oven with the oven on. Like all of us curled up in the kitchen with like plastic up on the other doors to try to hold some of the heat in. We had an outhouse. That's what I knew. And so I got up, I played every day. I was a single child or an only child and I didn't know any different. You know, unfortunately or fortunately, I can think about it now. And I remember a little bit later in life going to other people's houses and being like, man, I'm lucky. Like how I grew up was still lucky. It's a fairly rural, poor part of Oklahoma. You know, were there days when I was hungry? Yeah. And most things we needed, there was really nothing much for, for things that we wanted, but It made me who I am today, gave me the work ethic I have today, thanks to my dad. I don't know that I would have done it any different. I guess maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. AutoLeap is a cloud-based, all-in-one auto repair software that helps to keep complete track of your business, from scheduling appointments to managing technicians to generating invoices. Supercharge your growth with AutoLeap. Customers that fully adopt AutoLeap see the following benefits in their first year. 30% revenue growth with top customers seeing over 100% growth, 75% decrease in no-shows, allowing you to service more customers, three times increase in positive Google reviews, leading to stronger online presence, 50% time saved on administrative tasks, driving increase in operational efficiency. Do it all with AutoLeap. Key features and functions include estimates, invoices, scheduling, Google reviews, inspections, communication, QuickBooks, reporting. Get in touch with AutoLeap to see how you can transform your auto repair shop. For a limited time, if you schedule a demo, sign up with AutoLeap and they will waive the $250 implementation fee. This next one, number four, is probably up there on the worst days of my life. Actually, you know, I will say it's the worst day of my life. We're going to talk about one here in just a little bit. That's pretty rough, but it's number four divorce day. I think I was about seven. I'm not real sure. I would have to look and see. I don't know. I've seen the divorce paper, so I know. And again, this is how I remember it in my mind. 
not really sure how, if we had a view from all of the angles, how it would look. I remember being dropped off with family members on a day. At the time, I didn't know why I was being dropped off. I was just being dropped off. Again, I was with family members. These were people that were supposed to be taking care of me. And again, so some of the things I'm sharing here haven't been shared outside of um, me, my wife, and maybe Piper. Like there are other family members that have never heard any of this. I'm sorry if any of you listen to it and this is a shock to you. It is what it is. I've let it go. You know, there's that. I don't say this to hurt anyone. I just say it to share it, put it out in the universe and let it go. And just let you know that everything's not sunshine and roses, right? But you can get through it. I was dropped off. I remember the highlights of the day. I remember playing. I remember being happy. I remember being in the backyard in the treehouse. There were some older cousins there. And somewhere during the day, the older male cousin got me in a bathroom and basically molested me. I'm not going to go into detail. I don't think it's warranted. I just remember being pinned on the floor, the floor being cold, and me being icky and gross and dirty. And eventually I was let out. It felt like from the other side, it was like a big joke, like, ah, ha, ha. The older female cousin, who is between my age and, and his age, I don't know if she was consoling me or what was happening. But the next thing I know, um, she has me on the other side of her bed doing things to her. You know, I've never spoken to anybody about this. Uh, I don't even, my wife and daughter don't even know that. So this is going to be completely 100% new to everybody. My guess is that she learned that from her brother. I don't know where shit like that comes from. And I don't know why I complied. I don't know why I thought that it was okay. It was different. I think I agreed to it just to keep going through the day. And in my mind, through the first event, this event, I was like, oh, please come home. And I was like, I really want my parents to come get me. I don't think there was another adult in the house. It was terrible. And I was like, I can't wait until my parents come to get me so I can tell them and this will all be over. That's how I was surviving. That's how I was getting from one minute to the next to the next minute. I remember really, really keeping a close eye on like the road in front of the house because the minute my parents got there, I just wanted to run to the car, jump in and escape. That's what I wanted to do because I didn't know what else to do. Finally, the end of the day came. I go run into the car. I didn't even wait till my dad to come get me. I just like, I didn't tell anybody. I just opened the door, took off, threw the door open, jumped in. And I noticed that my mother was not in the car. And I want to go back and say that this is the only day that this ever happened to me in my whole entire life. Threw the door open, jumped in the car. The way I remember it, dad was looking away from me. I'm like, dad, I have to tell you something. Where's mom? And he looks at me, and I'm pretty sure he had tears in his eyes. And he's like, your mom's not coming home. We got a divorce, and she left us today. And in that moment, as a seven-year-old child, I decided that I couldn't give my dad any more pain that day. And I made the decision not to tell him.
And as far as I know, he's has no clue. I don't know that telling him would have done anything constructive because um, I'm not sure that if I would have told my dad in that moment, he wouldn't have gone in and killed everybody in the house. But I don't know. I don't know if he would have. I don't know if I wanted him to do that. I don't know because I never chose to make that decision to share. And I never chose to communicate that to anybody. And again, communications, most things come back. And this is true in your repair shop. Kind of weird for me to relate it to that. Most of the bad things that happen in your repair shop is because the communication sucks. I don't know how my life would have turned out different. I don't know if it would have. Probably not. There's the pain of all that there. But it's a defining moment, right? Like that day changed my life in so many ways. It's not even funny. I don't really know what else to say about that. I don't have any other any other thoughts on it, I guess. So we'll move on to number five. Saving others. After my mom left, my dad met and remarried. Had to be a couple of years later. But I think she was right out of high school, like 18, 19. Holy cow, Piper's 19 now. So she would have been Piper's age. They remarried. She probably shouldn't have been married just trying to raise a child at 19 that's not your own. She couldn't have been uh, maybe 10 years older than me because I would have been eight, nine, maybe. But really, at that point, what's your life experience that you can take care of somebody else? She was very hard on me. I don't know if it was when my dad and her were dating or after they got married. I remember we had a phone call one time. It was like, everybody, go to the car. we got to leave now. We got in the car. We drove to a nearby town. It was like 10 miles away. And I remember pulling up, and it looked like a battle zone. If you picture a Royal Rumble on WWE, that wouldn't even been close to this. Like, this would have put that in the dust. There's clothes in the yard. There's furniture in the yard. Doors are hanging off hinges. Her mother and her mother's live-in husband, whatever, had gotten in a fight. It must have been a hell of a fight. I remember pictures busted with glass and blood on them. I remember like clumps of hair. I remember hair on bloody pictures with blood and everything in them. And then so we picked up her mother and left, I think. That's the best I can remember. I tell you that story to tell you this story. And again, I don't hold any grudges for any of these people. I've let it go. I see these people in my life still. She was a young mother, had a child that she probably had no use being in charge of because she was just a child herself. And so anytime there was conflict and every time there was something for her, I guess her way was to discipline me very harshly. Let's put it that way. I was disciplined harshly for things that I didn't think probably needed to be disciplined for or were not disciplinable. These last couple of instances really is the basis for why I'm a strong proponent of working with local domestic violence shelters and things like that. I don't think she woke up thinking that she was going to do those things. I think that was all she knew. And I don't know what her life was growing up. She could have had as many experiences I had worse than me, more than me. I don't know. But, you know, my, my lesson in this is you got to break the cycle. You've got to really decide on what you're going to allow in your life. And as children, we don't know, right? So it's our job to take care of our kids until they're old enough to, to make these decisions and communicate for themselves. Yeah, I think that's all she knew. And so that was, that was the best she could do. Sucks for me. 
it is what it is. I have a half brother for the most part. I think he was taken care of really well. And then he has a half brother. I think that's all, all I got for that one. Number six, this may be a funny story. I don't know. I remember it in my brain funny, but it's one of those things where you learn that you have to be the protector. This is definitely one of those moments that sticks out in my life. My dad had been sick for a while. This was after him and my brother's mom got a divorce and my brother was, I don't know, like 18 months maybe. I remember him being in diapers and I'm not really sure that he walked yet. So really, really young. So it was my, it was my dad, me and my brother. And I know my dad had been having some stomach issues or whatever, or some sort of issues, but they could never figure out what it was. Dad wakes up in the middle of the night and we live in the middle of nowhere. Like, like we are the last bus stop for our school district. If I lived like a quarter mile down the road, I would have went to a whole different high school or grade school, all that. And then, so we had to get back to the town, the main, the main town, I guess. And then my dad, in order to get to the hospital, had to go another 35 miles. It was like a one hour. Dad wakes up in the middle of the night. He's like, grab your brother. Takes me and my brother. And I think we might've had the diaper bag. I don't know. Throws us in the car. And then boom, we tear off in our little beige or brown Chevy Chevette, whatever that thing was. It was a Chevy Chevette. I know that 100%. But I want to say it was like a, the brown color. My granny lives on the main road. My dad doesn't even pull into the driveway. He just stops. He opens the door. He said, take your brother, knock on the door, tell your granny I'm going to the hospital and tell me the hospital. My dad tears off, skittering around the corner. And this was two o'clock in the morning, something like that, like pitch black. I've got my brother, maybe the diaper bag. And I go and I'm knocking on my granny's door. Knock, 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 knock. And finally they come to the door and they're looking and it's just me and my brother. And I'm like, dad drove himself to the hospital. Come to find out his appendix had ruptured or was getting ready to rupture or whatever. He almost died. I think he was in the hospital for like 13 days. And probably if he wouldn't have gotten up and done that, that he wouldn't have made it. Like it would have been me and my brother um, with my granny, which would have been fine. My granny would have done anything to take care of us. Um, My granny was an amazing person. We just lost her at the end of last year. But I guess that's a defining moment, kind of with a funny story. I don't know. I feel like it's funny now that everybody lived. And some of the, like, they had my dad on, like, a heavy morphine drip. And I know that when we used to go see him, he'd be like, do you see him? And we'd be like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, the stick people on the ceiling. And so we would go and laugh at dad high on morphine. But anyway... So, yeah, I don't know. Again, that made the list. I think it's a good one. Like, I may not smile on many of the rest of these, but I'll smile on that one for sure. Number seven, high school football. Most everybody that I'm around knows that I played football in high school. We were very good at it. We were very good athletes. You know, we were country strong. All of us kids grew up. We grew up athletic, and we could pretty much do anything, any sport, because, you know, if you're out wrestling hay bales all day or working cattle or or doing whatever, you're athletic. That's what you do. That's what you do to survive. This one I struggled with for a long time. As a football team, I played as a freshman on both the junior high and the high school team, and so we made the playoffs all four of my years. We played in four straight state championships four years and lost all four times. I also competed in track, made it to four state track meets, never finished above second. 
And then my senior year, we also made the state tournament in basketball. And I think we got beat the first round. The reason why I say all that is because I walked around feeling inferior in my life. Um, like I was second best, like I was never going to be first, like I was never going to be first place or couldn't be first place probably until a couple years ago. I carried that with me for probably 30 years. And I played that woe is me, my life sucks, I'm always second best. But it's all perspective, right? Like if I would have thought about all the great times I had, all the the other games that I won, all the things that I got to see and do, and thought about how great my life was, that probably would have changed the whole middle part of my life. If I would have been more confident in who I was, I think that would have made an amazing difference. The lesson is, is a defining moment. If you are 95% of a success or what you would consider success, think about the other 5%. Don't dwell on the other 5%. Celebrate your happiness every day. Celebrate your achievements. Take time to celebrate greatness and really live and revel in it because whatever you're doing in life, you're probably a lot farther along than a lot of other people. Stand in it. Stand in your success. Live your dreams. Be proud of where you've been and don't dwell on the losses. Number eight, getting married. Meeting and marrying Kimberly was the best thing in my life, is the best thing in my life. We balance each other out. In the beginning, she would rub two nickels together to make a third, and I would spend every dime. I've gotten older and gotten quite a bit more like her, completely content, and I'm completely happy that she's my partner in crime. And so the the day I got married and the 23 years since have been a defining moment. It's not all sunshine and roses, but one of the things I can tell you that I learned in my earlier life that I forced and it was hard for her because she grew up in a family that maybe didn't share their feelings like they should. I forced her to communicate with me. Like she would want to leave a conversation or a difficult conversation we were having. And I would be like, no, we got to talk about this. We got to do it. So for all of my prior miscommunications and, and everything that happened, those were the things that really, really led me to do that and communicate. And again, I'm not saying it was all sunshine and roses, There are some times where I got angry and frustrated and I wanted to just chuck it all and say whatever, but I didn't, she didn't, we made it work and I really love that lady. So I don't know if she's going to actually listen to this, but I hope you do, honey. And I hope you realize how much I love you. Number nine, having Piper. Holy smokes, was that a whirlwind. Um, The last 19 years have been crazy. She is a real mini-me. She is way more like me than she is Kimberly, I guess. Kimberly says that, although there's flashes of her in there. I absolutely love and adore her. I don't know. Early on when Kimberly and I were trying to have babies, have a baby, whatever, there was discussion on, I think Kimberly wanted to have two. She she grew up with a brother, and she wanted she wanted Piper to have a sibling or have two. And I just couldn't do it. I told Kimberly one day, I don't know how I could love a second child as much or more or equally than I do her. I'm scared to to have another one. And that was probably one of the bigger sacrifices I guess Kimberly made for me. I'm sure there's probably a hundred more if you asked her. I guess I'm glad she did. I don't know. I don't ever regret having another one. People ask me, would you like to have had a boy? I'm like, no, I love my daughter. And I couldn't do life without either one of those two. 
and I'm glad they're here for me. I'm glad I'm still here for them. And yeah, I love both those girls more than anything on the planet. We don't have too many more go- to go, guys. I, if you stuck with me this long, I appreciate it. I thank you so much for listening. I don't know if this is helping you. I don't know if you're crying. I don't know if you're pissed off at me. I don't know if you're calling somebody or what you're doing. But hopefully it stimulates thought and hopefully it stimulates a change. Number 10, I'm going to call it the shed. I don't know how you get to a place where you don't want to go on anymore. I don't know how I ended up there. And I will say that maybe depression's in the family. Maybe we have a history of suicide or suicidal thoughts. I had a younger cousin that unfortunately took his own life. have known others. Uh, I worked with a guy who took his own life. And I guess maybe that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this episode. I still feel some guilt. When people come from a place of domestic violence, sexual abuse, when you've been down in one of those things, I think you can sense it in other people more than other people can. When when somebody's really struggling or, or having pain, I think of all the people, people that have lived through that can feel it. I'm not saying that's always the case. I, can, I think that's kind of my connection. I'm a little bit of an empath if you, if you believe in those sort of things. But I had a coworker that I knew was struggling. There was something going on. I could just see it in his eyes. See it. He was more timid. He, you know, basically ducked and ran, whatever, whatever. He chose to end his life and did. And a week doesn't go by. I don't think about that. Think about him. I would have felt like a like a dick if I'd have pulled him aside and said, hey, I know there's something going on. You need to talk to me about it. And he would have said, oh, nothing. No, everything's great. I'm good. And then just walked away. I think taking that opportunity is worth a shot and you got to do it. Hopefully, if you're out there and you're thinking about it, don't do it. It's not something that anybody benefits from. I just talked about Kimberly and Piper being there for me. And there's no way I would leave them at this point. So I say all that to finish my shed story. We had moved to San Angelo. I was a full-time coach working from home remote. Piper and Kimberly would leave and go to school every day. She would have been 12, 13 maybe. I think if you if you pull Kimberly aside and said, Kimberly, did you ever see any of this in Chris? She would be like, no, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know any of this was going on. I was miserable. I was depressed. I don't know why. I can't really pinpoint any one thing. I was working for another coaching company had a ton of clients, was trying to keep up, trying to keep my head above water. And I really took on a lot of of their things, right? Their stuff. And I walked around every day with the weight of my life on my shoulders, plus the weight of all their lives on my shoulders, which is the same thing I do now. But now I have coping mechanisms. Like I know how to do that and go. Plus, I don't have near the workload that I had then, um, which is a great thing. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do. I would get up in the morning, make my phone calls. The girls would leave. I'd be like, love you guys. They would go and I would just curl up on the couch or the bed and just feel sick and miserable for myself. Just wallow in it all day. I, sometimes I did great at getting the rest of my stuff done. Sometimes I didn't. I was doing the best I knew how. And this is one of those things that I should have communicated to Kimberly, but I didn't. And I don't know why. Because I just talked about how well we communicated and everything else. I guess maybe I just didn't want to burden her with it. I don't know. But if you're out there and you're thinking about that, you have to talk and tell somebody, somebody you know, somebody you don't know. You have to take what you have, your feelings, and share it. 
communications, share those things. I wallowed like this for, I don't know, a couple of months, whatever. One morning I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. I, I can't take this anymore. I'm better off not being here than being here. For me though, I was a planner. It's not something that I did that I didn't want to do it well, I guess, and succeed at or not succeed at. In my mind, I'm like, this is what's going to happen. I'm not going to do it in the house. There was like a shed out back behind our where we were living. And this was the nastiest, grossest place to probably have done this ever on the planet. Like it was an old rabbit hutch. It was a barn that had been converted to a rabbit hutch by the previous owner. It was hot. It was nasty. It was gross. But I didn't want to do it in the house. Okay, I've I've figured out where I'm going to do it. Now, how am I going to do it? Obviously, I'm going to do it quick. I'm not going to do whatever. So I decided I was going to shoot myself. So, okay, I got where, I got how. And then, then what do you do? Like in your mind, you're like, okay, here's this step. Here's that step. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to do it. And I don't want to be quote unquote missing. And I don't want the girls to find me. Eventually I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to call the sheriff's office. I'm going to tell them that they, they need to come find the body. There is a body, whatever in this shitty ass rabbit hutch behind the house. And they need to come take a look. I was going to hang up the phone and do it. So I had it all planned out. The girls leave for the day. On the day I decided to do it, I'm up. I'm working on the plan. You know, had everything ready. And I was just sitting there thinking about it. And I'm like, Chris, this can't be the answer. Who's going to walk Piper down the aisle? Who's going to take Kimberly for the rest of your life? This absolutely cannot be the answer. And if you just stop, everything will be okay. If you just set it aside, forget about it, put it out of your mind, you'll be great. And I don't know how long the inner dialogue went on for that. But finally, I decided that my life was worth living. I could get past it. I could get over it. And I wiped the whole thing out of my mind and got past it and got over it. I'm not saying that everybody could do that. I'm not saying that you can't do that. But if you're having thoughts like those and you don't think you can do it on your own, get help. Like right now, like stop this whole thing and go back to the 988, whatever. You can do all kinds of things. Like you can call the police department or or something anywhere, anyhow. They They can help you get help. And I think about it now. I think about how selfish that would have been for me to end my pain and suffering or whatever and take all of my burden of pain and suffering and hand it to somebody else. And so my defining moment was to rise above it and not make my defining moment a defining moment for somebody else. So again, I don't know what the lesson is from there, but I'm telling you, if you need help, get help, seek help, call anybody, call me, text me, figure it out. We'll make it work. Okay. And then I just can't imagine being dead in that stupid little shed. And now I think about all the lives I've changed or touched or helped through my coaching practice, how amazing that is. And that's the difference between the high school football thing, thinking I'm second place or thinking that I'm better or reveling in the wins instead of the losses. That was the biggest win of my life. Again, 
it's hard to share that. Honestly, I didn't cry. So that's just tells me that I've done a better job making peace at that maybe with some of the, than some of the other stuff. It wasn't until years later, probably five, six years after that happened, that I told my wife and daughter. I had those thoughts and they both confessed to me. We've had those thoughts and we love each other as a family. We support each other and prop each other up and continue to move on together. So again, if you know somebody that's struggling, help them. If you're struggling, get help. You may not be able to do it alone, but you can do it. So finally, I know you've listened to me blab for I have no earthly idea how long now. I know my shirt's gross. Um, It's hot in here because I turned the fan off before I started talking. Um, Number 11 is turning 50. I'm not quite 50 yet, um, but this has been a defining moment in my life. You know, the the ramp up to living in my success and being successful. If you didn't listen to the last episode, number 74, you can go back and listen to that about how to handle your success and kind of some of my thoughts around it and how I've gotten here. I'm a different man now than I was five years ago. I'm a different man now than I was 35 years ago. But turning 50 or getting close to turning 50 is freaking awesome. I don't care. It's another day. I wake up every morning with a big smile on my face and I'm ready to conquer my day. I'm ready to help you conquer your day. I'm ready to conquer the world. And again, this has been a tough one. It doesn't fit into the general category of what I do, but hopefully you got something out of this episode. If nothing else, you learned a little bit more about me and you're like, sheesh, glad I don't have his problems. Or maybe you're like, hey, you know what? Chris is a successful guy. And if he had those problems and I've got whatever I've got going on, I can make it better. I can do better. Or man, I didn't know that about him. And one of, also one of the things that I talked about in the success podcast was everybody has this idyllic life in social media and everybody thinks everybody else's life is great when it's not like you get like 10% of somebody's life on social media and you don't know how they're, how they're doing or what they're feeling or how things are going. This has been Coach Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching. If you find yourself struggling in your auto repair business or just in life, people, or have a feeling like you don't know what you don't know, but you're eager to learn and grow your business, then please feel free to reach out to me, chris at autofixsos.com, or give me a call at 940-400-1008. I'm challenging you to be a better version of yourself, be a gorilla in a world of monkeys, and time to rise and grind, everyone. You've been listening to The Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the aftermarketradionetwork.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.